So last week, we started here at Broxton and, uh, and out at Oak Grove United Methodist, we started to uh, we, uh, get into our theme this year, or what I'm calling our theme this year. Uh, back in 2020, when we first started, uh, when we first started the t 2020 year, uh, I thought that God had laid something on my heart to uh, to uh, utilize as a theme for our churches. And at the time, uh, that was it was the idea that we are a Romans 12 church. And uh, over the first several months of 2020, we 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 really got into the 12th chapter of the book of Romans. We got into the words of the Apostle Paul and, and the church that he describes, and we were learning to to uh, to to um, discover what it would look like to be and to live, to act and to think as the church that is described in, in the 12th chapter of the book of Romans. And of course, because of the coronavirus, because of the pandemic, that kind of got interrupted a good bit, but that's okay. Because uh, we're going to keep on talking about it. We're going we're gonna to throw, throw a little a Romans 12 in with what we're doing this year as well. But this year I felt again that God had placed another theme on my heart. And that theme is love like Jesus. That theme is learning to love as Jesus loves, learning to love as Jesus teaches us to love. And even more specifically, learning to love like Jesus through the lens of the Sermon on the Mount. Because along with being our primary Christian ethic, we talked last week a little bit about loving God and about loving others as also being our primary purpose as Christians, as the body of Christ, as individual Christians, as local churches, as local bodies of Christ, not only is loving God and loving others our primary ethic, but I would argue that it's also our primary purpose on earth. If we want to know why we are here, if we want to know what our purpose is, that's it. It's to love God and to love others. It's why we were created. That's what I spoke to our congregations last week. We were created to be in relationship with God. We were created to be in relationship with other people. And we were created to love God and, and to love others. Jesus, just as Jesus Christ loves us, just as, just as God certainly loves us. And we back this up with two scriptures that we're using for our um, foundation um, of this theme, of the theme, Love Like Jesus. We're, we're focusing in on two scriptures that are not in the Sermon on the Mount, but really describe and really, and really give us a framework to work from, a base to work from, as to why we believe that this is our purpose, our primary purpose as Christians, as disciples, of followers of Christ. The first scripture that we ground ourselves in comes from what we call the Jesus Creed. Now, you're not going to find the words the Jesus Creed in the Bible. The Jesus Creed was actually a book that was written by a gentleman by the name of Scott McKnight back around 2004 or so. And what he did is he utilized some scripture. Uh, the ones that he used were, were uh, from the book of Mark, but you can find it also in the book of Matthew as well. And it's a, it's a scene in the Bible where Jesus is teaching and he, he is asked by one of the religious leaders, what is the greatest commandment? What is the greatest commandment? And Jesus answers like this. He says, the greatest commandment is this. Hear, O Israel. And here he's quoting a, he is quoting a uh, ancient Jewish prayer called the Shema, by the way. And you can find that in the book of Deuteronomy. But the first part is he says, here's the greatest commandment. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. And this Jesus continues, and he adds to that. He adds to the Shema. He says, and love your neighbor 
as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So in this story, in the, in this in, of, that we find in the, in the Gospel of Mark, also in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus lays out to us what the greatest commandments are. There's two of them. Love God and love your neighbor. And if you'll, if you'll read the scripture in the Bible, Jesus actually says that these two commands are equal, or these two commands carry the same weight. Uh, they are just as important in the eyes of God as, as each other. Loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength is just as, just as important as loving our neighbors as ourselves. So that's one of our foundational scriptures for this series or for this theme, Love Like Jesus. The other foundational scripture that we find or that we're utilizing is found in the Gospel of John. And specifically, it's the 13th chapter of John, verses 34 and 35. And this is how it reads. Again, these are the words of Jesus. And he tells his disciples, A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. And I reiterated again last week what a, what a great commandment this is because Jesus says, first of all, a new command I give you. Because there was something new about this command. Of course, Jesus had already talked about loving your neighbor as yourself. He'd already talked about loving others. But he kind of ups the game a little bit. He says this, just as I have loved you, so you must love one another. So when we take into account the way that Jesus loves us, the way that Jesus loved his disciples and loves humanity in general, our love for each other is stepped up, uh, certainly, to a great, great degree. And the second thing he says is, by this, everyone will know you're my disciples. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples, by your love for one another. So that's how, that's how we can be known as Christians. That's how we can be known as disciples of Jesus Christ, not necessarily, not necessarily because of the things that we believe, which are, of course, very, very important, but because of the love that we have for one another, because people can observe clearly the love that we have for one another. That's how they will know that we are his disciples. So using those two verses as our, or those two scriptures as our starting point. Oh, and, and the, uh, by the way, the, I, didn't, I don't think I gave you the scripture from Mark. The scripture I quoted from Mark was from Mark 12, uh, 29 through 31. So using Mark 12, 29 through 31 and John 13, 34 and 35 as our foundational scriptures, as our starting point. Last week, we started to dive into the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' most famous sermon, without a doubt, and also Jesus' most, or the longest sermon of Jesus that's recorded in the Gospels. And that is what we're using, and that is what we're going to be using uh, over the next weeks, several weeks, several months, however, however long or how many times we, uh, we decide to focus on this. That is going to be what we're going to be using to look at, to understand what it looks like to love like Jesus. What it looks like to love like Jesus and how to love like Jesus. This is our reference point, the Sermon on the Mount, which can be found in the Gospel of Matthew, chapters 5. Through seven, And again, last week we started diving into that a little bit, and we started probably with one of the hardest teachings of Jesus Christ that you're going to be, that you will find in the Sermon on the Mount. And it's Matthew 5, verses 43 through 48, where Jesus talks about loving our enemies. So as we 
said, love sounds easy until we start realizing what it truly means to love as Jesus loves and as Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount. Because in last week's scripture, we learned that Jesus doesn't just tell us to tolerate our enemies. Most of us can do that. Most of us, most of us can, uh, can spend a few minutes in the same room with, with somebody we may not get along with. For the most part, we can tolerate them. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus calls us to love our enemies. And we define love, by the way. We, we took a look back at, at how God loves and, and, and throughout the Old Testament and, of course, throughout the New Testament, how God interacts with humanity, how God loves. And through those observations, we came up with a, with a definition of what love is. And we define it as this. We define love as a rugged and emotional commitment of presence, advocacy, and direction. Love is a rugged and emotional commitment of presence, advocacy, and direction. Presence, simply being with people. Simply being with people. And that means, according to Christ, being with our enemies. But it goes beyond that. Advocacy. We advocate on the behalf of people. We advocate with people because we are for people. We are for the good of one another. We are, we are in favor. We want to work toward the good of everybody that we meet, every encounter that we have, even our enemies, according to Jesus Christ. And lastly, direction. Direction. And that is, how, that is basically a model for discipleship. We work with people. We work for people to help them to become the kind of people that God created us to be. So when we consider all that, and we consider the fact that Jesus tells us not just to tolerate our enemies, but to love our enemies and to go the extra mile, we kind of get an understanding of the, uh, of the, of the seriousness <laughs> or the severity of what, of what we're hearing in the words of Jesus Christ when he, when he defines to us, when he defines for us what love is what love is for him, how he loves, and what love looks like in the gospel or in the gospel and also in the kingdom of God. So with all that, today what we're going to do is we're going to back up a few verses from last week and we're going to see what Jesus has to say about ideas like revenge and retaliation. And we're going to discover how loving our neighbors like Jesus continues to be absolutely irrational and absolutely unreasonable to our human instincts. So if you have a Bible uh, handy, or if you have a phone with you, or you have a Bible app uh, at your disposal, take a look at Matthew chapter 5. We're going to get back to Matthew 5. It's going to be just a few verses prior to where we were last week, uh, talking about enemy love. Matthew 5, we're going to be looking at 38 through 42. fifth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, starting in verse 38. Again, these are the words of Jesus. He says, You have heard it say, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. 
If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and to take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. I'm going to repeat 38 one more time. You have heard it, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. The first thing that I want to do, and one of the reasons that I mentioned Romans 12 a little bit earlier in the introduction, is I want to go back to Romans 12. Because when we were exploring Romans 12 a little bit last year, I told our church that you can certainly notice a lot of similarities between what Paul writes in the 12th chapter of the book of Romans and the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. And what I'm about to give you is a wonderful example. It's a wonderful example of these similarities because Paul absolutely, absolutely echoes the words of Jesus right here when we're speaking about loving our, our, uh, loving our enemy and, and the idea of retaliation and retribution. You can find these verses in Romans 12, verses 17 through 21. Romans 12, verses 17 through 21, Paul writes, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful, what, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written... It is mine to avenge, and I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. And in doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Very, very similar words. Very, very similar words from what we hear from the mouth of Jesus from our reading today. I do want to point out one, one, one verse or one portion of these, this scripture. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. In these words, Paul is also quoting Proverbs chapter 25, verses 21 and 22. So this is found throughout the Bible, this, this, uh, this idea of, uh, of, of not just loving our enemies, but even taking it a step further to love those who hurt us, those who harm us, and to not seek retaliation, not to seek revenge on people is a theme that you can find throughout the Bible, and of course, including the Old Testament. Now, while we're there, let's go ahead and talk about this whole eye for an eye thing. Uh, very common. I think we, we touched on that just a little bit last week. So let's talk about it now, because last week what we saw we, 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 was Jesus said something very similar um, as he did in today's first verse that he did in last week's first verse. In last week's first verse, when he's talking about enemy love, Jesus said this, 
He said, you have heard it said, you have heard it said, uh, hate your enemy and love your neighbor. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, what we learned last week is that hating your enemy is absolutely not in the Bible. You're not going to find God's will or God saying or God directing anybody to hating their enemy anywhere in Scripture. I believe it is mentioned maybe, maybe somewhere in the book of Psalms, but you have to also remember that the book of Psalms is a book of prayers that were written by people. They were written by people based on the thoughts of people, and they are not necessarily reflective of the will of God. So throughout Scripture, once again, the idea of hating your enemy just isn't there. It's just not there, and it never has been. When Jesus quoted Leviticus 19, 18, in, in, uh, what is the, when he was asked what is the greatest commandments, he said, love your neighbor as yourself. He was, speak, he was speaking 100% against the idea of hating your enemy. Let me quote that to you real quick. Let me find it. Just, I know we did this last week, but I think it's so important that we, that we understand this. Leviticus 19, 18. Again, when Jesus was asked what's the greatest commandment, and he finished it up with love your neighbor as yourself, he is quoting Leviticus 19, 18, but he's also quoting a portion of Leviticus 19, 18. Here... And this is pretty great, and it applies once again to what we're talking about today. Here is the entire verse of Leviticus 19.18. Starts off, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. Hating your neighbor, hating your enemy, excuse me, hating your enemy is not in scripture, but it was a practice that had certainly been embraced at the time. And that's why Christ says, you know, you have heard it said, certainly not that it was written. Well, in today's scripture, he says also something very, very similar. He says, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And then, of course, subsequently, he goes on to uh, tell us about not seeking retaliation or revenge on people. So he starts off, you have heard it said, once more, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye. For tooth for a tooth. Now, if you know anything about the Bible, I'm going to trust that the majority of you who are watching this this morning uh, probably do. You will know that an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, unlike hating your enemy, in fact, is in the Bible. You will find the idea of an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, in a bare minimum of three places that I know of. Uh, you're going to find it in Exodus, you're going to find it in Leviticus, and you're going to find it in the book of Deuteronomy. What we need to know about this, however, is each of these instances, each of these instances where you see this, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, all in Exodus, Deuteronomy, Leviticus, all of them, is that these are judicial laws. In other words, these were, these were laws that at the time were appropriate for courts. They were appropriate for courts. They were judicial laws and they were punishments uh, for criminals. For the most part, they were punishment for, um, for very serious and severe crimes. Punishment equal to the crimes. Punishment that was equal to the crimes. So once again, these were at the time, these were judicial laws only. Unfortunately, what has happened over the centuries is that many, many people have tried to utilize these scriptures to justify getting revenge, or getting retaliation on others. But Jesus says this is not so. This is not the will of God. This is not reflective of God's 
kingdom. On the contrary, what we see in our scriptures today is that Jesus says that we are to go the extra mile. Just as we do with loving our enemies, we are to go the extra mile to show and to give Christ-like love even to those who harm us. Now, just as shocking as it was to us last week when it comes to the subject of enemy love, today's subject of going the extra mile to love people that intentionally cause us pain, people that intentionally cause us harm, people that intentionally cause us injustice is a crazy idea for us. It is an irrational and it is an unreasonable idea for us to embrace because that is not our human instinct. And again, as I said last week in regards to hating our enemy, it is in our human and I would argue our sinful nature, our sinful instinct to hate our enemy. It is within our human nature, our sinful human nature to seek revenge and to seek retaliation. It is our instinct to do these things. When we're hurt, we want to retaliate. We want to hurt that person. We want to get revenge on that person. But this is not the way of Jesus. This is not the way that we show the love of Jesus. This is not the way that we live the love of Jesus. Jesus very plainly, very, very plainly lays down for us how we are to respond, how we are to live into this idea of loving our neighbor as ourself, even in the face of adversity, even in the face of harm. Unfortunately, just as it is with enemy love, these, this is an idea that most of us just seem is too crazy to follow. This is one of those ideas that very, very often, if not, if not more often than not, we just kind of conveniently want to push to the side. We want to ignore this command of Jesus because it's just too hard. It's just too irrational. It's just too radical. We want to minimize it or just, or just forget about it outright. But this, again, isn't the way of Christ. And as I would like to remind our church all the time, is that we're disciples. Jesus called disciples. And what is a disciple? A disciple is a follower. A disciple is a student. A disciple is a person or a people who mimic the ways and the teachings of their master. And as Christians, of course, in this case, our master is Jesus Christ. Jesus said, just prior to leaving this earth, to go and make disciples. Our beliefs do matter. But being a disciple of Jesus Christ is not just about beliefs, as important of those, as those are. It's also about practice. And it's also about heeding the words of Christ and responding to those words. Not because we understand it. Not because it fits with our rational human mind. Not because we can, we can do all kind of, all kind of uh, justifying for, for ways not to follow Jesus, but because we love Jesus. Because of that love for Jesus, we simply are called to do what he says, even if it doesn't make sense to us. And that's what discipleship is at the end of the day. Following Jesus as our master, heeding his words, following his instructions. Do you happen to know... Some of you probably do. 
But do you happen to know what Christianity was called in the Bible before it was called Christianity? The initial disciples or the initial apostles, the initial followers of Christ that we'll see in the book of Acts, Christianity was not, were called follower, I'm sorry, those disciples, those apostles, those initial Christians were called followers of the way. Christianity was referred to as the way long before it was referred to as Christianity. And you can find that in Scripture. You can find it right there in the book of Acts. Because Christianity at that time, again, was not just about having all the right beliefs. It was about being actual disciples. It was about being actual students of Jesus. People who loved other people with this insane type of love that, by the way, certainly had to draw a lot of attention. Can you possibly imagine these people who were 100% sold out, devoted followers of Christ who were out there, who were out there literally getting beat up and be giving and responding in generous, crazy, active love to those who were even persecuting them to the point of physical harm. Can you imagine what that was like? Um, let me take that a step further. Can you imagine how that type of love might have drawn other people into the way. What would it look like for our churches today if we had that type of radical love, that radical love that refuses to retaliate even when we're hurt, that refuses to seek revenge? What could the church possibly look like? Because we'll go back to John 13, 34 through 35. How will they know that you are my disciples? by the way that you love one another. Again, I'll say it, I think, for the third time. Our beliefs are important. Orthodox or traditional Christian beliefs are very important. But so is practice. And so is love. And so is being authentic disciples of Jesus Christ. Even to those who dish out pain and injustice to us. The author of the Jesus Creed book, Scott McKnight, kind of puts it this way. In his commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, Dr. McKnight writes these words. He says, those who love will love even those who dish out injustices. A person shaped by the Jesus Creed, once again, the Jesus Creed, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself. A person who is shaped by the Jesus Creed will respond to injustice not with retaliation and vengeance, but with grace and with compassion and with mercy, abundant mercy. Now get this. They will respond with these things in a way that completely reverses injustice. Now let me kind of explain to you the best of my ability what I think that means. When we dish out this radical grace to other people, when we dish out this radical mercy to other people, when we dish out this radical compassion to other people, especially, especially to those who have treated us unjustly, they are disarmed and they are rendered absolutely stunned because this isn't what we expect 
from people. People like a fight. Again, it's in human nature to retaliate. It's in human nature to bicker. Honestly, for a lot of us, it's in human nature to be violent. But when we respond in generous love to people who are hurting us and giving and delivering injustice to us, people are disarmed. People are stunned. And people are attracted to what possibly can be the source of that kind of love. What can possibly be the source of that kind of compassion? I talk sometimes about a man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Some of y'all are probably familiar with that name as well. Bonhoeffer was a, was a Lutheran pastor in Germany who was uh, eventually hanged uh, by Hitler. But one of the things he says in regards to the Sermon on the Mount and, and, and this idea of, of, of how we respond to evil, how we respond to hurt, harm, and injustice. He says this. He says, evil will become powerless. Evil will become powerless when it finds no opposing object. What happens when we don't oppose them? What happens when we don't strike back? Evil will become powerless when it finds no opposing object. When it finds no resistance. Evil meets an opponent for which it is not a match. And those are powerful words. And those words are very, very true. But you see, it's not just about being passive. We're not necessarily called to be passive in the face of evil, in the, in the face of adversity. But we are called to be generous. <laughs> and that strikes us as, as odd again. That strikes us as difficult because it is difficult. But we're called to be active in our, generous, in our generosity, in our generous love. Remember that definition that I gave you earlier. That definition that I gave you of love about being present with people, about advocating with and for people, and about doing everything that we possibly can through our own and through the help of God to, 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 to make people or to create people or to, or to direct people into becoming the kind of people that God created them to be. Seeking the absolute good of that person, advocating on their behalf. I can assure you, there is absolutely nothing more alarming or more disarming than a Jesus follower who actively responds to injustice, not retaliation or harm, but in abundant generosity. Jesus serves as our example for this. Jesus lived these words. He didn't just command these words. He just didn't give us these commandments to us. Jesus was these words, and he lived these words, and he serves as our example. Jesus was hated. He was despised by many, but he did not respond through violence. He didn't respond through retaliation, although he certainly could have. He didn't respond through revenge, but he responded through Submission. How crazy is that? Jesus, who was God in human form, certainly could have done whatever he wanted to do to all of these people who were hating him, mistreating him, persecuting him, at the end of his human life, beating him. At any moment in time, he could have done this, but he didn't. He didn't respond with violence. He didn't respond in retaliation or revenge. 
He responded through submission to those who harmed him the most. And this is the ethic that he teaches us in our passages from today. 1 Peter 2.21 says this, To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Make no mistake, violence is not of God. Retaliation, even against our enemies, is not of God. Revenge is not of God. And I'll refer you back to, to our verse from Romans 12 earlier. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Violence, retaliation, revenge, these, these are not of God. They're not of God's will. It's not reflective of God's kingdom. And Jesus could not be any clearer than he is in these verses. As Christians, as followers of Christ, as followers of the way, retaliation and revenge are not luxuries that we are afforded. And these are non-negotiable. If you want to know how serious the initial followers of Christ took, this, took these commands, took these words of Jesus when it came to uh, not responding to, to, to harm, to persecution with revenge, retaliation, violence. If you want to know how seriously the early Christians took this, you should know that prior to Emperor Constantine, Christians were very devout pacifists. Christians were very devout pacifists in those early days. They refused violence in every way, shape, or form. As a matter of fact, many of our current American denominations at least leaned towards that in that direction at some point or another. Many of them did. You can go back in history and you can read doctrinal statements. You can, you can, you can, read, uh, you can read position statements. And you'll see that at a certain point in time, a lot of our major denominations today... May, although they may not have been pacifists necessarily, they certainly leaned in that direction. A lot of that changed. A lot of that changed in the early 20th century as we approached the two major world wars. Some of you may be familiar with the Amish. All of us know who the Amish are anyway. They are part of what's called the Anabaptist tradition. Those are the Amish. Those are the Mennonites uh, and, and a number of any other groups. This is part of who they are. They are pacifists as well. That's how seriously they take this idea of nonviolence. I can't call myself a pacifist, although I certainly lean in that direction. Um, and I certainly believe that Jesus Christ was, and I believe that's what he taught. However, I can't call myself that as much as I would like to be that, because I just don't know how I would personally respond. But that's something I think we should all meditate on. I think that's something we should all consider, and I'm not trying to to encourage you or discourage anybody in, in one direction or another on that one. But it's something that's been debated over the centuries. Regardless, regardless of whether you lean towards this, what some people would call radical extreme or not. The fact is, in our scriptures today, it's absolutely undeniable. Undeniable that Jesus calls us to be people of peace. Even in the face of injustice and even in the face 
of harm. This is a non-negotiable for followers of the way. And it all starts with three things. And I'll go back to them. I've already mentioned them one time. It all starts with three things. Grace, mercy, and compassion. All of those are inextricably linked, of course. Because God is a God of grace. God is a God of mercy. And God is a God of compassion. These are the three things that I pray for in my own life every single day. Is that God will make me a person. That God will make me a Christian who lives by these three standards. Who becomes these three standards in all of my dealings with people. I haven't, I haven't, met, that, haven't met that yet, but I want to. Because I believe that wholeheartedly that's what call, Christ calls us all to, to be people of grace, to be people of mercy, and to be people of compassion. So as I wrap up today, and just as I did last week, I'm going to encourage you to start trying this radical, crazy love with people. We talked about the Jesus Creed, and I'm going to keep encouraging you guys to, uh, to memorize the Jesus Creed, whatever, whatever translation of the Bible you have. Let me look it up one more time, just make sure I don't give you the, the incorrect verses, but it's Mark chapter 12. Starting in verse 29 through 31. I'm going to read it to you one more time. The most commandment, the most important commandment Jesus said is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. And the second commandment is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. I encourage you to memorize that. I encourage you to make that a prayer over your life. When you wake up in the morning, say that prayer. When you wake up, when you go to bed at night, say that throughout the day. Recite this, recite this, recite these scriptures. And you're going to start seeing people in a different manner, I believe. The more I recite it, the more faithfully I recite it, I start seeing people a little bit different. I'm a little bit more compassionate to people. I'm a little bit more understanding. I'm a little bit more merciful. I'm a little bit more graceful, even towards those who harm us. This is why we have scripture. And that's why, that's what I told our congregation last week. One of the reasons that we have scripture is that hopefully the Holy Spirit will speak to us through scripture and that he will transform us more into the image, the mind, and the heart of Jesus Christ, which is what being a disciple, of course, is all about. It's, it, it is, it is the will of God, and it is, it is something that he certainly was serious about. It's certainly something that I believe we can, we can, we can embrace and that we can live out as followers of Jesus Christ. Start reciting that. Start looking at people. Start finding opportunities to extend that grace and extend that crazy radical mercy to others. Confuse people. Confuse people and disarm people. And let them see the love of Christ through you. Pray with me. Merciful Father, I thank you for this Sunday. God, I thank you for the gift of grace. I thank you for your mercy. And we thank you for your compassion. God, these are, these are difficult teachings to swallow. But we also know these are the will of God. These are your will. This is, this is a ref reflection of your kingdom that we're called to live out on earth. Help us to embrace it and not deny it. Give us the strength. Give us the desire 
to love our neighbor as ourselves. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.